All right, do we have audio? Good, great, let's begin with prayer. Father, thank you for the day you've given. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the worship and praise this morning. So grateful for uh, the theme of the music this morning of um, who you are, Christ, who's to be exalted. So thankful for the fact of your blood and the cleansing and the forgiveness and uh, the position that we now have because of the work of Jesus Christ and because of his sacrifice. Or may we rejoice and praise and sing Hosanna along with the crowds who know who you are as Messiah and King. And today, may we exercise faith, believing and trusting in you, in Jesus' name. Amen. What is faith? What is faith? Have you ever have you ever tried to give a definition of faith and uh, stumbled around a little bit? Is it an easy thing to say what it is? Um, and really simply, you might say, "Well, faith is believing." And you might even go a little bit further and say, "Well, it's believing and 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 something that maybe you can't see." And we think about Hebrews eleven one: faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And I'm reminded of, of a verse, Romans 8, 24 through 25, that says, hope that is seen is not hope. If you have faith, but you don't, and, and yet you can see it, it's not really faith. It's, it's evidence. And so hope that is seen is not hope, it says in Romans 8, 24, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Today I'm going to I'm going to start I'm going to start the the sermon out with a question of what if you had been there. And I I asked this of teens a few years ago. I said, "What if you had been there? If you could have been Moses, if you could have been with Moses and you saw the burning bush, would you have believed? If you could have been Noah and you had a conversation with God about building an ark, would you have believed? If you could have been a disciple, who witnessed the miracles of Jesus Christ, would you have believed? And and it's interesting because Noah and Moses and Joshua and the disciples and Paul and all of these heroes of faith, though they saw, they still had to believe. They still had to have hope and faith in something that they didn't see in order for it to be faith. I think you'll get what I'm saying as we go a little bit further. Those teens are like, man, it would have been a whole lot easier, a whole lot easier to believe in God if I could have been living 2,000, 3,000 years ago and witnessed these things. And I I suggest to you that, no, it, it wouldn't have been any easier. That the struggle to believe today is, or the struggle to believe 2,300 years ago, same struggle to believe today. Society says that seeing is believing. Even more, I think, society and the culture today says that feeling is believing. And I would suggest to you that faith is taking God God at his word, whether you see it and whether you feel it. 
So, over the last few weeks, Pastor Matt has been leading us through the story and application of the Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. So if you want to take your Bible, I'm going to have a lot of the scripture up here on the PowerPoint. But if you want to take your Bible and go to John chapter 11, you can follow along. We're, I'm going to read a lot of scripture today. And, and we're going to unfold a story. And I think it's going to confront us with the question of faith. Do you believe? And what if you had been there? So Lazarus, a man who had been dead for four days was raised to life by Jesus' words, Lazarus, come out. John eleven forty four says, The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. I was uh, uh, going through a Bible study with uh, some teens in the book of Revelation, and, uh, and we talked about... Um, how there would be a resurrection. And I pointed them to Matthew about, uh, just quickly said, well, you know, when Jesus Jesus died, uh, during that period of time when Jesus died and came back to life, that there were bodies of the saints that came out of the grave. And one of the teens said, wait, 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 wait. Zombies? (laughs) And uh, no, actually physically came back to life. This, 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 person wrapped in grave clothes, Lazarus, comes out of a tomb alive. What if you had been there? How would you have responded? Would you have rejoiced, thrilled at the fact that Lazarus was now alive? How would you look at Jesus? Would you think of him as as a, a... a new hero, a popular figure? What would you think of him? Would you be afraid? What kind of a man is this? Would you want to touch him? Would you want to be close to him? Would you keep your distance? Would you follow him? John continues in verse 45. Many of the Jews, therefore who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. If you had been there, if you had been there, would you have believed in Jesus? Or would you have waited? Waiting to see what the cultural leaders, the Pharisees would say about him. You know, there's a third group represented here. And that's the Pharisees. John 11, 47 says, So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. This group of people, the Pharisees, they were the cultural and religious group of influence in Israel And and at this time, they were becoming fearful of Jesus. They were fearful that the crowds would follow him and that they would lose their positions of influence and power to him. And so they began to plot. And we see this plot in verse 49. One of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people not 
that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. We'll continue reading. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim. And there he stayed with the disciples. So we see so far in this story that there are three groups of people. We've got those who believe in Jesus. This this man is the Christ. This, This man is Messiah. This man is the one who came from God. This man is the one who will become king of Israel. We believe in him. We're going to follow him. And then you've got those who are still forming an opinion about Jesus. I'm going to wait and see. Not sure what to think of him just yet, but, man, this is interesting. I need, I need to know a little bit more before I form an opinion. And then you've got those who are the enemies of Jesus showing up here. So, so far in the story, we've got three gr- groups of people, and then, and then we've got a plot and a plan. We've got a plot, the plot of the wicked to put Jesus to death. And then we also see, so far in the story, a plan of a righteous God for Jesus to die in our place. Because Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, had unknowingly signaled God's plan for Jesus to die as a substitute. He thinks he's working a scheme that's going to be to his advantage. And in reality, he's going right along with what the Father had already determined all along. Let's allow the story to continue. John eleven fifty five. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think? That he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. Many were in Jerusalem hoping for Jesus to come to the Passover. Why? He was impressive. He was news. Everyone's talking about this guy. There's drama. It's clear that the Pharisees don't like him and that they want to arrest him. But me, if I'm there, if I'm in the crowd, I'm in the temple, if I'm part of that crowd, I'm probably still forming an opinion about him. So I'll just wait and see. Maybe he'll do something impressive that I'll see for myself and maybe then I'll believe. Well, after some time, Jesus leaves Ephraim where he was near the wilderness with his disciples and he came back to the town of Bethany. And Bethany was that location where, where Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. Not, very, not, not too long before. John 12, verse 1, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served. And Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But Judas Iscariot, 
one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So again, we see this theme. We see the three groups of people, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, representing the believers, the chief priests plotting now, not only to kill Jesus, but you know what? There's a guy named Lazarus. They're telling stories, saying that he rose from the dead. A lot of people are believing on him. So many of the people are believing in Jesus too. So let's go ahead. We'll, we'll get rid of Lazarus as well. And then we have the crowd. What, Jesus is in Bethany? Jesus is in Bethany. And I've got to go check this out. What other opportunity are we going to have to actually see the guy who supposedly raised a man from the dead and the man who was raised from the dead himself? I want to see this myself. And so the crowd is starting to build up in Bethany. And, and you see the two sides of the plot, right? Pharisees want to get rid of, of Jesus. And yet Jesus, very aware of God's plan, accepts Mary's anointing of his feet with expensive perfume as a symbol of his coming death and burial. Continue reading. Verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Now, now, real quick, let me just tell you something. These palm branches, this was a national symbol. This was a politically national symbol of Israel. It meant freedom. I don't know if you guys remember much of the story about the Maccabees and, and how if you, if you actually, you know, we, we, we celebrate Hanukkah. Um, well, the Jews celebrate Hanukkah. And during that time, the, there, was, there was the Maccabees who, put, who resisted the the. Uh, the, the political rulers, those who were, who were uh, uh, controlling Israel at the time, and, and in their resistance, the Maccabees themselves were, um, they were, they were considered national heroes. And they, um, am I getting that right? Those who know, yeah, okay, all right. Because I'm, I'm going off the top of my head on that particular, that particular point. I hope I'm not calling the, the villains the heroes here. Um, but uh, uh, but, but what, one of the things of that movement was that the palm branch became a symbol of freedom. The palm branch became a political symbol. It was like, for us, an American flag. We wave it around. So Jesus is approaching Jerusalem and the crowd getting louder and bigger. They're seeing a movement here. Something big is about to happen. We're liking this guy, Jesus. So they're starting to cut down these branches and they're starting to wave them and they're yelling Hosanna. And the word Hosanna literally means, it literally means, God, save us now. 
Who is this Jesus? He could be the Messiah. Who is this Jesus? What has he done? He's raised the dead. This is the one who's coming to rescue Israel. Give salvation now. And they quoted Psalm 118, verse 26 in praise. Give salvation now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The one who's coming into Jerusalem right now is the Messiah. He's the one who's going to rescue Israel. The one who's coming into Jerusalem right now, he is the king of Israel. And so major things are happening. The crowd's only going to get bigger. John chapter 12, verse 14. So Jesus and Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And not only is this Jesus coming into Jerusalem and they are praising him, but he's fulfilling prophecy. Zechariah 9, he's fulfilling the prophecy that he would come sitting on a donkey's colt. But look at the next paragraph, the next verse. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. When studying the passage, I paused right here. The disciples didn't understand what was going on. They didn't understand the significance of what was happening. How could they not? I mean, surely they too believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Surely they would have been enthusiastic that the crowds were beginning to recognize Jesus as the Messiah too. Surely they were praising and rejoicing and proclaiming, Hosanna, blessed is this Jesus who comes in the name of the Lord. So what didn't they get? What didn't they understand? They actually didn't understand the significance of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And I didn't either. (laughs) I'm like, okay, so... The disciples don't get the significance of Jesus riding in on a donkey. I thought this was just him fulfilling prophecy, but he was, and he was. But the significance is that instead of Jesus riding in on a war horse, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. In this way, he was refusing to enforce the crowd's idea of a Messiah who would bring peace through politics and nationalism. John 12, 15, and I mentioned this earlier, it's actually a quote from Zechariah 9, verses 9 through 11, proclaiming that Messiah would come to bring peace. In verse 9, it says that he is righteous, victorious, humble, and riding on a donkey. In verse 10, it says that he would bring peace by ending war for Israel, and also that he would bring peace to the nations, extending his reign to the end of the earth the Messiah would rule and reign. And up to this point, it sounds, that sounds great. It's still falling in line with him coming into Jerusalem and the waving of the palm branches and the shouting of Hosanna. And I'm sure that the disciples understood and looked forward to that truth. But what Zechariah prophesied that the disciples didn't understand until later, until later after Jesus was glorified, and there it's speaking of after Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected, They didn't grasp that, the Messiah, that, that his riding into Jerusalem on a donkey was actually pointing to Jesus' death. It says in Zechariah 9.11 that the Messiah would bring peace, setting prisoners free, 
because of the blood of my covenant with you. The Messiah would bring peace, not at this time riding on a donkey, (laughs) coming in on a war horse and, and politically overthrowing the Romans and setting Israel up as this great Uh, uh, global leader at this time. But instead, he was going to come into Jerusalem as the Passover lamb, making peace between a righteous God and a sinful people. He would bring peace by his own death, by the shedding of his own blood. You know, preparing preparing this message, studying this passage, I was like, you know what, I... I, I want to emphasize who Christ is. I want to exalt Christ in this message. And I'm, and I'm reading the passage and I'm reading about, about the uh, Palm Sunday. And, and I knew the story and I was like, man, this is, gonna, this is, this is great. The crowds, we're just going to, well, let's, let's pretend that we're going there in our mind's eye. And we too are waving the palm branches and praising him. But, but woven through this story, Jesus is going to die. He's going to die. This excitement is not what you think it is. Your expectation is not what, you're, what you think it is. Yes, Jesus is the Messiah. Yes, he is king, but he's going to die. And all through this story, you will see that it's emphasized. It's emphasized when, when Mary is anointing Jesus' feet with perfume. It's emphasized here as he rides a donkey, and, you, and you'll see it as we go further. It's emphasized with Caiaphas proclaiming that one man should die for the people. It's woven all throughout. So let's keep reading. John 12, verse 16. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this sign. So in our mind's eye, we're standing in Jerusalem and the crowd is getting larger. Can you imagine how it happened? A man who had been dead for four days was raised to life by Jesus' own voice. Jews from all over are gathering in Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. Not just from all over Jerusalem, but from all over They're hearing eyewitness testimony of the amazing works that Jesus has done. And they're asking the question, who is this Jesus? What will he do? What has he done? Let's go to the next slide. I imagine that they're hearing of the time Jesus would teach and explain the scriptures and how according to Mark 1.22, the people were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. They were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. And they're hearing how Jesus healed demon-possessed people. We'll go to the next slide here. With a word, like the time in Mark one twenty-three, a man with an unclean spirit cried out to Jesus, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And they're hearing of the many healing miracles Jesus performed. And that's our next slide. Like when Jesus was preaching the word to them and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Have you heard this story? 
When they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. So maybe the crowd in Jerusalem is hearing about his healing and they're hearing about his authority to forgive sins and they're hearing about, uh, 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 about his teaching and his authority. Maybe they're also hearing about Jesus' authority over nature. For on a boat, in the middle of a storm, in the middle of a lake, Jesus rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm and Jesus said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Over the last few weeks, Pastor Matt has has reminded us throughout that that we are to, when when we're going through life and we're hit with doubt and we're hit with insecurity and we're hit with anxiety and maybe we're hit with our own sinfulness and our own failure to remember the words of God and to remember the works of God. When you sit here and I don't know what's been going on this week and I don't know what you've got going on the rest of this week. But the same Jesus who raised Lazarus from the dead, the same, and on three other occasions this recorded as well, the same Jesus who taught with authority, the same Jesus who could calm the wind and the waves, the same Jesus who could heal a paralyzed man with a word, the same Jesus who could speak to a demon-possessed man and with authority cast that demon out of that person. This same Jesus is the one that we are to believe in and trust in and we must remember the works that he has done and the words that he has done, words that he has said, the promises that he has given. He has authority over your life. Do you know that he he approached men who were working on boats and he said, come, follow me, and they dropped everything and came and followed him. He has authority over people as well. He can handle and solve and correct everything that's going on in our lives. And maybe if you had been there, maybe if I had been there, the crowd's gathering, we're hearing about this Jesus, this Messiah, could he be the one? And you're hearing all of these stories, you're this close to believing. Maybe so. 
So in John 12, verse 17, we're back in Jerusalem. The crowd that had been with Jesus when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done the sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Three groups of people. Those who believe in Jesus. This is the Messiah. He is God's chosen one. Another group of people. Those who are still forming an opinion. Let's just wait and see. I know I'll need to decide eventually. Hopefully I won't have to pick sides just yet. And those who are the enemies of Jesus. This man could disrupt my plans. This man could disrupt my way of life. And he must be opposed. Keep reading in John 12, verse 20. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. So Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Consider this. The Pharisees had just finished saying, Look, the whole world has gone after him. And the very next verse tells us of some Greeks who were not Jews who wanted to see Jesus. Now, we can't know for sure but there's a tradition that these Greeks wished to offer Jesus asylum. Perhaps they had heard of the Pharisees' plot against him, or maybe they saw him as a threat to, their political, to, to the political leadership of Rome, or, or even that he might be a path to influence and power in Israel for themselves. I, I'm definitely reading between the lines there, but the idea that, that, that these Greeks wished to offer Jesus asylum fits with the context, I think. Because look at what Jesus says in reply. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So Andrew and Philip come to Jesus and say, there's some Greeks here who wish to see you. And Jesus replies with, whoever loses his life, whoever loves his life, loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So let's keep going. Verse 27, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this work. I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him. We have heard from the law that Christ remains forever. How can you say that the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk 
while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Do you see the drama unfolding? A crowd is growing larger and larger, enthusiastically ready to proclaim Jesus as King of Israel. The religious leadership is jealous of Jesus' influence and fearful that they will lose their power, so they're plotting to arrest and kill him. Greeks, Gentiles in Jerusalem to worship see what's going on, and they seek an audience with Jesus, probably to offer political asylum. And Jesus continues to emphasize that God's plan is completely different from the crowd's. Jesus says, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice comes from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And Jesus plainly explains, pointing to his death on the cross, I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And Jesus' statement arrests the crowd. This is the Messiah, right? This is the one who has authority over the wind and the waves and sickness and evil spirits and has forgiven sins and he's even raised the dead. But he says he's going to die? Believers, you know, they're they're all in, but they're not really comprehending the plan at this point. Those who are forming an opinion, the idea of his death is introducing quite a lot of doubt here. And the enemies of Christ, well, they still have the opinion that he must be stopped because he's going to change their way of life. Later that week, the enemies of Jesus would arrest him. They would put him to trial illegally. And he would be lifted up from the earth, being nailed to a cross. And Jesus, God who became man, would bear the penalty of humanity's sin and would bear the wrath of God. He would be buried And on the third day, he would be raised back to life. Through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, God offers to all humanity peace with their creator, the forgiveness of sin, and eternal life. The scripture that we've been reading today makes clear that although Jesus' enemies were plotting against him, that in fact it was in God's plan to offer humanity peace through Jesus' death. And the scripture that we've been reading today highlights those three groups of people, those who believe, those who are still forming an opinion, and those who are the enemies of Jesus. Which group do you identify with? In truth, Jesus offers peace to you no matter which group you identify with. If you believe that Jesus is God or if you're still forming an opinion about him or even if you would say that you are his enemy, he offers you peace. And Jesus appeals to you, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. And I want you to know that you can become a child of light today. If you believe that Jesus is God who became a man, if you believe that he died in your place for your sin and that he was raised to life and is alive today, if you are willing to turn from your own way in order to put your trust in him, 
then I want to invite you to make that decision today. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Romans 10.13 says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So you can pray and I invite you to do this even now. God, I believe that you made me and you have a plan for my life. I believe that Jesus is your son that he is God, that he became a man, and that he died in my place. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead and is alive today, and I want to trust in you to forgive me of my sin. And through praying and inviting Jesus into your heart, he promises that he will forgive you of your sin, he will give you eternal life, And he will come and make his home in you. Next week, we'll hear more of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. But I want to finish this week out with a reminder that Jesus' influence and power over this world has not diminished. Jesus still has the power to heal, to control the wind and the waves, and he still has the authority to forgive sin. The Jesus who received the praise of the crowd shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord is just as alive and present today as he was 2,000 years ago. And so I want to ask the question again. What if you had been there? What if you had been an eyewitness when Jesus called Lazarus out of the grave? What if you had been in the crowd as Jesus rode a donkey through the gates of Jerusalem? Would you believe? Would you follow him? The challenge is to keep on believing. Trust in the person, the work, and words of Jesus. His promises and his power are true. So whether your faith is strong or you still have doubts, maybe because of your circumstances, believe the truth of Jesus. Act this week. Live this week. Make decisions this week in the truth of who he is. Remember what faith is. It's trusting Christ. It's taking God at his word, whether you see it or whether you feel it. It's taking God at his word. And I think that's our challenge today, to be trusting in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you for the enthusiasm of the crowds and even their hesitation because in it we see that that you continued to follow the will of your Father and that you continued to make the invitation to follow you with all of our hearts and thus become children of light. We need you. We trust you. And I pray that we will continue to trust you the rest of today and the rest of this week and to keep on believing. In Jesus' precious name, amen.